Hey everybody, Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into our podcast at Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Would you be interested? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. We don't have lasers. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage, but we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the whole world. We sing psalms and hymns, and we preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We love Jesus, and we're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. So would you be interested in coming to a church like that? If so, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. And feel free to visit our website, gospelfellowshippca.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. And now for today's message. Uh, If you please uh, stand for the reading of God's Word, we will be reading together from Mark chapter 9. You can find uh, this passage printed in your bulletin. Uh, I'll be reading uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 41, uh, though the sermon will focus on 33 through 37. Let's hear the word of our God together. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Please be seated. Proverbs uh, 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Uh, Jesus is the man of understanding. Uh, He asks what seems to be a very simple and innocent question of the disciples, Uh, and he draws out immediately... Uh, the full substance of what is in their hearts and what was in their conversation. They're silent (laughs) because there's nothing there. Uh, Here is this arguing about who is greatest, and there is just absolutely nothing to it. Uh, Imagine what that's like. Jesus asked them, so what were you talking about on the way? How do you answer Jesus, 
when this is the nature of the conversation. I mean, imagine, imagine Andrew saying, well, I was, I was actually telling them that I was the greatest <laughs> to Jesus. Um, it, it seems to make so much sense in the moment when we consider ourselves greater than others. But then suddenly when Jesus asks the simple question, so what were you talking about? What were you thinking about just then? We realize we're speechless. What do we say? Oh, I, I was thinking for a moment that I was better than so-and-so, or I was greatest. Um, there's not much really to it. Uh, from one perspective, we can kind of make some sense of uh, perhaps why the disciples were talking this way uh, as they were on the road. Um, not too long ago, if you even just in the, this, this, this current uh, chapter that we're in, earlier in the chapter, you remember Jesus actually makes a little bit of a distinction amongst the disciples. He takes three of the twelve, and they go up the mountain with him. Remember the nine stay behind, and Peter, James, and John go with him. Uh, they have a kind of privileged experience where they see uh, the glory of Jesus Christ. He was transfigured before them. Uh, they get some kind of a privileged insight as to what's going on. Jesus starts teaching them about the resurrection. He's already taught the disciples, but here they hear about it in the context of seeing his glory. And he actually tells them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until I'm raised from the dead. Here is, here is a privileged experience and insight that they're supposed to keep to themselves. You can kind of imagine the sense of superiority at that point. And, and we do the same thing, don't we? This is important as we, as we consider uh, this, this kind of concern of, of thinking of ourselves as greater or the greatest. This is, this is a distinctively Christian problem here. It's the disciples who are arguing with one another. We can certainly um, imagine scenarios generally in the world where we could apply this, but Jesus is speaking to those who have had privileged insight and privileged experiences with Jesus as those who are following him. Uh, this is uh, similar to the way Paul uh, even speaks to the church in Cor Corinth, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, when he says this, knowledge puffs up. He's speaking to the church, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. We, we, can, we consider the privileged insight and experience we have and what the Lord has taught and what we have seen and known of the working of His grace, and we start to think that it says something great about ourselves rather than the one who has shown it to us. I mean, imagine uh, if, uh, if, if you've been, I know we have a number of teachers in our, in our congregation, uh, but imagine the arrogant student in the class who starts boasting about how much more they know than the other students, and the teacher walks in and says, look, I'm the one who taught you that. The only reason you know this is because I taught you. We do the same thing. The things that we understand, the things that we grasp, we think it says something great about ourselves rather than the one who has taught this. So in some ways, we can understand some of this context with the disciples it's a warning to ourselves, the privileged insight and experience that we've had in knowing the Lord, knowing Him deeply, having, having right and deep theology. 
It's not a reason for us to consider ourselves great, but to consider the greatness of Christ Jesus. Again, uh, in the context here in Mark 9, we can understand something of this. Uh, Remember the three who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They have this incredible display of the glory of the Lord and insight as to His working. They come down the mountain, and what do they see? Well, Mark 9, verse 17 Sorry, uh, verse 18, we, we find that here was this man who had brought his son to the disciples. It says this, the end of 18, so I asked your disciples to cast it out. That is the demon that was upon his son to cast it out, and they were not able. So here they come down the mountain. There's this argument and discussion here with the scribes and the crowds and the disciples. And part of the reason for this is that the disciples were asked to do something and they couldn't do it. Um, Here, someone else's inability and weakness seems to prove their own strength. You ever had that? You see that someone can't do something, and their weakness seems to prove my own strength. But how does weakness work and inability work in the kingdom of God and in the body of Christ? Well, The weakness of one member is not there to show my strength, but Christ's. If anyone lacks, and any member of the body supplies what's lacking, it doesn't show what I have, it shows the sufficiency of Christ. Where do I have anything that I have? Well, it's only by the provision of Christ Jesus. How is anyone gifted in the body? By the Spirit of Christ. Any member meeting the needs of another or caring for one another, it shows not what we have but what Christ has. In fact, in the body of Christ, weakness highlights, is meant to highlight, the power and the strength of Christ. It's better when weakness is highlighted amongst the people of God because then the true place of our life is seen. Again, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, 4 verse 6 and 7. Um, uh, or rather, seven, he says, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What do we have at all that has not first been given to us? Um, it's worth remembering uh, that this kind of argument or discussion that the disciples are having along the way is not only something in terms of ourselves that makes its way into our uh, conversation. It also plays in a kind of conversation in our own minds. Uh, Imagine the question, not just what were you talking about, but what were you thinking about? (laughs) How often have we considered ourselves in just a brief moment better than others, either for the experience or insight we have or what seems to be their lack and inability, and so we assume our own ability Uh, But the deepest reason, I think, we see here as to why the disciples are consumed with talking about their greatness, why they start considering themselves compared to one another, is that they're leaving Jesus out of the equation. (laughs) They're leaving him out. It's only something that's, that's, uh, uh, it's only a discussion that's taking place amongst themselves, Uh, Now, they think that because they're with Jesus, it says something great about them. But as soon as Jesus comes, rather than highlighting their greatness, it exposes their weakness. They're silent. Of course, we have in the verse right before, right before what we had read, it says this, Jesus had been teaching his disciples 
about what was going to happen to the Son of Man, that he was going to be, be delivered up, he was going to be crucified, he was going to die, be buried, and raised from the dead. And it says in verse 32, they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. This is important for ourselves. If you ever consider yourself greater than others, it springs from this, a lack of understanding the work of Christ. It doesn't come first with a lack of understanding the relative ability or, or, or insight that someone else has. It doesn't come first from understanding the relative insight or ability or provision or something that I have. It springs from a lack of understanding of Christ and what He came to do. Here they are, they've misunderstood or not understood what He's saying. They're afraid to ask, so what do they do? They fill the void with talking about their greatness. See, this is the foundation that is missed here. This is in the section of the Gospel of Mark, what Jesus is doing. He's teaching them about his own work, what he is going to do. Everything he says about how the disciples are to live and what they are to do is building upon that foundation. He's taking this reality, what's going to happen to him. He's going to suffer and die for his people be raised from the dead, and he is building on that foundation and showing them this is what it looks like then to follow me, one who suffers and dies. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. And it means completely reinterpreting our understanding of greatness. Jesus reinterprets our understanding of greatness based on what he, the great one, is doing. He reinterprets our understanding of greatness. And there it is in verse 35. This is how Jesus interprets for us what greatness is. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all of all. He is reinterpreting greatness here. Now, I want to first uh, deal with what, is, um, uh, what I think is probably a misunderstanding of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not merely teaching a new, though counterintuitive, path to greatness. He's not merely teaching a new way to greatness as though what we're supposed to do is bide your time, uh, take the menial tasks, and eventually, eventually people are going to recognize you for who you are. It's not just a new way to greatness, uh, similar to um, uh, when, when you play sports. What do you want to do in playing sports? Well, you want to get the highest score, right? Well, unless you're playing golf, then you don't want the high score. And it's counterintuitive, right? What do you mean you don't want more points or a, great, a higher score? Well, of course, that's how the game works. It's something counterintuitive in that case. Uh, with our girls, it's, it's a little bit odd uh, uh, trying to teach them that paper can be worth something. Paper is kind of, what, what, what is paper, right? We've got, we've got plenty of it everywhere. But of course, it, do, it is worth something if it happens to be currency and money. Right? It's counterintuitive. Uh, well, that's not merely what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus does not simply say, take, take the low road, 
Uh, add service projects to your resume, and people are going to notice that and think, oh, you're really great. He's not, simply, uh, he's not simply saying, look, people really love a rags-to-riches story. Uh, bide your time, take the hard things, and eventually, uh, eventually you will have the great place. But Jesus, Jesus is introducing here not simply a new way to greatness, but a redefinition of greatness. See, we need to substitute a worldly understanding of greatness for a kingdom of God understanding of greatness. It's a, it's a transvaluation, a, a change here of what is itself valued. What is the place, not only temporarily, but what is the place that has the highest honor and that of the greatest privilege. Jesus says the greatest place is not only achieved by being last now, but the greatest place. Whoever would be first, here it is, to be last and servant of all. This is the place of greatness. It's a complete reordering of what we think. And of course, it makes sense. What's our foundation? Christ himself, who has himself served in giving his life for the sake of of his people. Now he says, last of all and servant of all. Uh, we can all uh, probably tell stories. Uh, actually, it's remarkable, even in, in this own congregation. I won't say names, but there are, there are certain people who we tell stories about because we know and have experienced ways in which they have served so many of us. We're not even necessarily aware of how many, of how many uh, people they have served, but you notice everyone tells the same stories. Because here are people who have, who, have, uh, who have had that kind of privileged place, right, in serving, and we, and we recognize that, and we have benefited from it. The remarkable thing is in the kingdom of heaven, who is the one person who has served all? There's one person who has served all, Christ Jesus, last of all, and servant of all. You see, even in our own lives, in terms of taking the place of servant, we're not simply serving one another and biding our time so that our picture can be hung up somewhere in the kingdom of heaven. Say, wow, you see how great this person was? No. See, who is the one who is last of all and servant of all? Christ himself. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the athlete who can't help but get out from un underneath the shadow of the great person who came before them. There are certain athletes like that, like Michael Jordan, other guys like Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, you can sort of fill in your other uh, favorite sport, where some people come along, and we can imagine other people come along, and they say, greatness hasn't been seen like this since the days of Michael Jordan. And you sometimes just kind of imagine the person saying like, ah, oh, why do you have to mention their name, right? You want to be great in your own right. Well, it's similar to that in service in the kingdom of God, even unto eternity. Any kind of recognition of the service that we have rendered to, to others, the, the honorable place that it is to be last of all and servant of all simply becomes an occasion to talk about the one servant, to talk about Christ. See, that's, that is the privileged place that Christ himself has that we have the privilege of being made like him. Is this not what we honor and what we love? The place that Christ himself has taken in serving his people. 
Jesus reinterprets what greatness is. Greatness is seen and defined by what Christ himself did in giving his life for the sake of his people. And so what do we do but give our lives for the sake of one another? Jesus then takes a kind of living parable. It's interesting, in the middle of this, he he doesn't just talk about a child, he picks up a child. (laughs) This is great. It's a living parable. He picks up a child, puts him in the midst of everyone, and then he picks up the child and puts him on his lap, right? So we can look upon this child, and he's going to teach something here. Here's the one point. Uh, whoever would be first would be, must be last of all and servant of all. And then now here is the parable kind of explaining this or expounding more what it is that he's getting at. It's interesting. Commentators note uh, that part of what's going on and the connection here with this parable to what Jesus has just said uh, depends upon a kind of word play. Uh, in Aramaic, which is the language that they were probably using and speaking, In Aramaic, the word for servant and the word for child is the same. At least if there is a word that's used for both. The word for servant and child is the same. So in some ways, uh, what he's doing is he's continuing this topic of talking about the servant of all and now considering, okay, not just how do you be that kind of servant, but it is seen. If we have this kind of valuation, this understanding of what is the place of honor, it's seen in this. Who do you honor? Who do you receive and show that kind of honor to as come in the name of Christ Jesus, whoever receives a child in my name? So that here is not even, Jesus is not even presenting, this is how you can be received as a great servant. But it's seen in this, who do we receive? Who do we recognize in that way as having the place of honor? Um, This idea of receiving a child, I think it's probably borrowed uh, from this kind of idea of sending someone as a kind of delegation or representative. Uh, there's uh, a, there's a, a story that I, actually rather long, an epic poem that's written probably about 800 years ago that I just read a couple weeks ago uh, called uh, The Nibelungenlied. Some of you may have heard of it. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of combination of, of old uh, Germanic and Norse uh, myths and things. But what's interesting is the way that kingdoms relate to one another. Uh, you send a delegation and a group of people that do two things. One, you send with them gifts and all sorts of power and strength and displays of strength that you can bestow honor on the one whom you send them to, as well as you can display your own greatness as they see kind of a piece of what you have in your own kingdom. So who you send, this delegation, it both shows something how you, how you think about the person you send it to, as well as it shows something about yourself and what you have in your kingdom. Well, who does Jesus say uh, that is received here? Whoever receives one such child in my name. The in my name is not just what it means to receive, but the child itself has sent. The child sent in his name. Well, I want to just make a few observations and and comments here uh, just in considering what it is that Jesus is getting at. First of all, this. In receiving a child, one such child in my name, we learn something of how Christ bestows honor in a child. Uh, how does Christ bestow 
honor. Well, what is, uh, what, what's required in receiving a child? Well, a child, one who is lowest among us, adds nothing to you and requires everything from you. Adds nothing to you and requires everything from you. See, this is how uh, to, have, to have someone sent from this greatest king, this is what it looks like to be honored by him. Being in a position of having nothing of worldly glory bestowed upon you, but requiring all that we have from us. This is what it looks like for the people of God to be honored by Christ. Do, do, we, do we want that position and that place before him? It's what it means to follow him. Uh, he does not promise us worldly glory and greatness. Yet still all that we have is rendered to him. This is what it looks like for the people of God to have honor in following him in this world. It also says something of who it is that he honors, right? When you send someone, it says something about your own kingdom. Perhaps you could think of it your own culture. These are the things that you value, the things that uh, if, if such a person would come to you whom you would receive, this is whom Christ receives, those who are as children before him, those who add nothing to him yet require everything from him the verse that we just, what we're memorizing right now. Whoever would come to the kingdom of God must become as a child. This is the place of those whom he receives into his kingdom as those who add nothing to him yet require everything from him. Our greatness does not mean all that much to the Lord. We don't have much. What must we do? Leave our greatness at the door he receives those who are as children, who had nothing to him, yet require everything from him. But Jesus goes on here and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Here at this point, Jesus gets to what is the foundation of what's going on. The foundation even of the people of God and of the kingdom of God. It says something of who he is, and what lies behind him and him being sent by the Father. Here's the deepest foundation and making it clear to us that what we're dealing with here is not just simply a temporary understanding of what's great, but a reinterpretation of what is great in the kingdom of God as it's focused on Christ Jesus, whom has, has the Father sent for the sake of his people. One who came as a child. That's remarkable that when Christ Jesus came, he was born as a child. He came into this world as a child. And you, you think about that in terms of what is required for the people of God. What do you mean? All we need is a child? I was a child. All we need is someone who dies. Well, I can die. That's very much apparent to all of us. We are able to die. But of course, my need and my death can't do any good for me. See, even in our need, we need someone who is able to be in that place for us. So that he might be the one who receives from the Father for the sake of his people. We can't even be the first to receive the blessings of God. We need one who comes so that he might die and he might receive. So that by his grace he gives the same to his people. 
This is what the Father gives. See, those whom we honor, those uh, if we understand the place of being last and servant of all comes down to this. Do we appreciate, do we appreciate uh, whom the Father has sent? That what we need, what is the providing of our salvation, is the providing of one who came as a child so that he might die for the sake of his people. We see here in those who are last and the least a reminder of our salvation, and so we are glad to bestow honor, right? In serving and bestowing honor, because this is not the greatest reminder of our salvation. And lastly, it's a reminder to us of what the Father has done and why He has done it. He has sent a child, why? For the sake of gaining children. (laughs) For the sake of gaining children. Uh, What is our place before the Father? We can add nothing to Him, yet we require everything from Him. We add nothing to Him, yet we require everything from Him. This is what it is to come to the kingdom of God, to trust in Christ Jesus and to look to Him alone in what He has done. This is the basic life of the people of God, to be built upon the foundation of what Christ has done Is this the place that we would have? Do we recognize the honorable place that Christ himself has had in suffering and dying for his people? Why don't we go before our God in prayer? Lord God, we do thank you for the work that you have done for us in Christ Jesus, that he suffered for your people and was raised from the dead for us. Teach us, Lord, to value and to love and to honor what reminds us of what you yourself have done. We do pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Would you please stand for the benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.